Hello, and welcome to Beyond the Breakers, a podcast about shipwrecks, loss, and lessons learned from maritime disasters. My name's Taylor, and I'll be your host today. Uh, it's a special Halloween episode, so excited to do that. But first, just want to say thank you for your support. We're both so happy to make something you guys are enjoying. Um, we we're talking about uh, you know how much we enjoy interacting with everyone just before we started to record. Um, if you'd like to interact online on Twitter, we're at beyond underscore breakers. Instagram is beyond the breakers podcast and email is uh, beyond the breakers pod at gmail.com. In addition to that, we also have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash beyond the breakers. Um, the show will always be ad free, but the money from the Patreon just goes towards making the show, making it better equipment, uh, resources, that kind of thing from time to time are needs. And that helps us meet some of those. And with that stuff out of the way, I'll go ahead and bring in Tanner. Tanner, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm hoping that our second take uh, goes better than our first. <laughs> Couple technical difficulties. Yeah, I'm so ready to go. Ready to go. Definitely. How have you been? Good. Uh, just got back from a little zoo trick or treat at the Cincinnati Zoo today, so that'll be fun. Or it was fun, I should say. You know, it's fun getting everybody out there in costumes and seeing some animals, getting some candy. It was a good day. What about you? Oh, it's been pretty good. Been. Uh... Watched some football yesterday. I haven't actually watched any today. I've been doing other stuff, mostly Duolingo. I've put quite a few hours into that this weekend, particularly. But yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm ramping up my my addiction to that. Still, uh, I still recommend the Plus version to anyone interested in Duolingo. Definitely worth the money. Aside from that, it's just been a lot of a lot of my normal stuff. A lot of podcasts. I've been listening to the Pontifex podcast. Uh, which is a nice. really cool one. It goes through a chronological history of the popes. Each episode is devoted to one pope. So obviously there's a lot of material for them to present, and they sort through it really well, and they present a really cool story. Uh, so if uh, if anyone's interested in the early history of the church, and obviously the, the entire history of the Catholic Church, it's a cool, it's a cool uh, podcast just for someone with a general history interest, I think. So yeah, that's yeah, that uh, really that's what I've been up to pretty much is podcasting and Duolingo. Nice. Yeah, it sounds productive. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, with that out of the way, let's go ahead and jump into this spooky Halloween episode of Beyond the Breakers. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm so ready. I'm I'm excited for this one. <laughs> All right. So, have you ever heard uh I know well, first, let's just say where we're at with this. We're both like interested in paranormal and ghost stuff. I think we both find it amusing. I don't know how much either one of us truly believes in it, but it's fun and interesting. Would you agree? Yeah, I think I think this came up, I think, on our – when we did that Q&A episode, I think I talked a little bit about my interest in ghost stories and folklore. And yeah, right. it's just a cool – it's a cool thing to – to read about and to see the stories that people tell you, you know, you learn a lot about a group or a culture or a society based on the stories that it tells. And so like folklore and ghost stories are really cool part of that. So yeah, ghost stories mm -hmm. are fascinating sort of outside of are they real or not? That's, that's almost immaterial to the story, but yeah, ghost stories, the paranormal, fascinating stuff. Yeah, for sure. So let's, uh, let's get started here. Have you ever heard of the black dog myth? Yes, a little bit. It's it's never been one that sort of jumped out at me, um, but I know it's come up on a couple of podcasts I've listened to, uh, TV shows that cover it, stuff like that. I know I've heard a lot of stories of that kind of thing coming from England. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the research I was doing, it sounds like most of this comes from England. There's some other um, cultures out there that you know do have similar myths, but a bulk of this comes from England. Mm-hmm. The case today that we'll be talking about, however, is the Black Dog of Lake Erie. Hmm. Uh, it was interesting, okay. very interesting. So first we'll talk about the background. The basic story of the Black Dog is that a traveler or some unfortunate victim will encounter an unnaturally large black dog with glowing red or yellow eyes. So pretty intimidating. Mm-hmm. Uh, these dogs are generally thought of as omens of tragic events to come, although a few stories state that dogs may be a physical threat. So kind of like a kind of like a banshee, isn't it? The banshees that are just it's it's kind of like the thing itself isn't necessarily dangerous, but it's just an indicator of something. Yeah, like mean something bad's. Right. Yeah, I believe so. I'm not super steeped in that stuff. But um, yeah, like it sounds like in general here, the dog itself is not the thing to be afraid of. It's more about what the dog symbolizes. Mm-hmm. Um, the dogs are often associated with storms, with crossroads, places of death or execution. So, I mean, you know, pretty high, high stress places. Mm-hmm. Um, the first story we're going to talk about is a vessel called the Phoebe Catherine. So the Phoebe Catherine is a notable example from Lake Erie of a black dog case. And it's kind of weird when you think about it. Like, you know, it would be weird if you were on a boat and you saw a dog and you know there shouldn't be a dog. Like, what? where did it come from? Mm-hmm. You know? So there are multiple accounts that a phantom black dog would be seen on the vessel. The dog would suddenly appear on the foredeck and then disappear into the ghostly mist right before the eyes of the lookouts. And basically every time that, you know, it was a known thing that people would see, every time that happened, some sort of tragedy basically befell the vessel or, you know, something bad happened. Uh, it wasn't always like a, a death or something like that. It could range from, a, you know, the death of a crew member. It could be a major mechanical failure on board. And there's even reports of it basically, you know, ahead of time predicting the death of a family member that was on shore of someone who was working on the vessel. So is, um, no one, no one was happy to see the dog. Is this vessel, the Phoebe Catherine, is this a cargo vessel, like a freighter? When, when are we talking here or what kind of ship um, is it? I'm not actually sure. The story didn't say, like we were saying, like okay. we're coming at it with a few less facts. It's, I think it's pretty much implied that it's a cargo vessel though. From what I read, there were Somewhere, notes of like passengers. Somewhere that a dog definitely shouldn't be. Right. And like, I mean, you know, these crews are pretty small and you're on a boat with them all day. If the captain or someone else has a dog, you're going to know about it. Right. Like you're going to know if they're like, oh, that's not the right dog. Mm-hmm. So it's noted that the Phoebe Catherine was plagued by other strange phenomena. Sailors often reported that they would be mimicked or twinned by a strange black form that would replicate their movements as they worked. Oh, yeah. All right. That's, that's um. Yeah, that's not great. I wouldn't want to do that. That's the stuff I like. Shadow people, doppelgangers, stuff like that. This is a good. Uh, this is a good one. I like this. <laughs> yeah. So the vessel carried on um, like a cursed reputation, and at times they claimed that she even had like to struggle to like keep a regular crew. You know, who would want to be down below the you know below decks? You know, when you're getting mimicked and like this black mist <laughs> moving around, like that's going to travel. These are small communities. Yeah. Um, another tale from that vessel involves a woman in white interrupting a drinking game or a night of drinking and card playing. So, you know, they were 
basically at port for a few nights. So what's a sailor going to do? He's, he's got money. He's going to drink, right? Mm-hmm. So they're on board playing cards, drinking, having fun. When suddenly the room goes quiet and the game stops, the night of fun is broken up by a woman who appeared wrapped in a sheet. And they said that basically she was pale and ghostly white. What makes this even even like a crazier story is that when one of the men looks up from the table, he's shocked to realize that the specter haunting them is his own wife, except she's not on the vessel. She's back in his hometown hundreds of miles away. Ooh. This was enough to convince that man to actually stay sober the rest of his life, and he never touched a bottle again. All right. Hey, that's, however you got to do it. crazy. <laughs> like, that that would be quite the story. I mean, that even gets into, like, doppelganger territory when this guy's seeing an image of his wife appear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a weird mix. Um, that's another thing with these black dogs is it seems to be that when one appears, it's there's other things going on too. It's not, a lot of times there's other poltergeist activity or other you know sort of things happening. Mm-hmm. It's it's not always just the dog. And those are, that's always so that interesting, interesting with any of these phenomena when those happen and then they happen you know in in a group with other other activity and you have to sort of wonder how much of it is. Oh, I heard this story about the black dog and that person also saw a woman in white. And so then your brain is kind of primed to see those other things. If you, if you already have right. think you have seen this, this other part of it, it's very cool. Right. And then there's other things too, obviously like lack of sleep can lead to some things. And I'm sure that in a lot of these jobs, these guys aren't getting great sleep when you're, you know, working all night, all night and all day on a, a great lakes freighter. Mm-hmm. So you know how that goes. You start to close your eyes. You kind of see some black lines form. Like, I don't know. It's interesting. Sorry, so the next vessel that we'll talk about is the Mary Jane. Uh, she was a 135-foot canal schooner, which operated out of St. Catharines. Early one morning, she departs Port Colburn in Ontario on Lake Erie. And there's a large black dog spotted standing on the cargo of cedar posts that are laying out on her deck. The dog's described as being a large Newfoundland with eyes like coals of fire. So the dog walked across the cargo deck and then silently jumped up onto the wharf, disappearing right before the crew's eyes. So, like, multiple people see this dog just kind of walk across the deck, like, nonchalantly. Mm-hmm. And it jumps up on the pier and then it just it vanishes. That's pretty crazy. Like, that, that would definitely put you on edge before you're going out, especially if you're steeped in this culture and know that myth. Mm-hmm. Newfoundland is, so, a, is a hard dog to hide. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, you know, 120, 150 pound dogs. Like, they're they're big. So, next, a tug hooks up to the schooner and tows her out of the harbor and then leaves her to continue her journey. So, one problem with a schooner, especially, you know, at this time, if there's no wind, you can't go. So, the vessel ends up sitting outside of the harbor for a few hours. There's reports from workers in the harbor that state that there was no wind and that the Mary Jane was sitting just outside of the harbor with no means of getting underway. It was like that for most of the morning. And then the early afternoon, the Harbor crews noticed that she was gone, but no one had noticed her get underway. It was almost as if she had simply vanished. Ultimately she did vanish. According to the legend, Mary Jane was never seen again, lost with her crew, another victim of the black dog. Uh, It's worth noting that some of this may have been a little bit of a stretch. The weather was actually very stormy the day the Mary Jane was lost. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Mary Jane was actually seen on the lake by another schooner, the EP Door, who also later sank that same day. But they actually sight the vessel underway. 
Okay. And, so, um, so the mystery you know, isn't, all, isn't, yeah. isn't quite as mysterious. Right. Like it's not quite as mysterious, but you know, all these, although these facts and you know, they kind of run counter to some of the legend, there's still the issue of the black dog. Like the ship still sank after the black dog walked across the deck, you know, and this dog's seen by people working on the wharf. It's seen by people on the boat. Like it's not just one person thinking they see it. Like this dog is seen and noticed by people. Mm-hmm. So it would appear, you know, that this is still an omen of bad things to come regardless of a storm. So let's talk a little bit about that dog, kind of what the story was around it mm-hmm. uh, with the locals. So locals were convinced that it was the ghost of a Newfoundland that had drowned in the Welland Canal. Uh, supposedly, the dog was knocked overboard while the vessel was locking through the canal. And also, strap in, prepare yourselves for some just 1800s-style animal cruelty, so trigger warning if that's a thing. <laughs> Rather than save the animal, the crew left it to drown, rationalizing this as, if the dog's such a good swimmer, it will save itself. <laughs> uh, according to the legend, the dog's body was found wedged into the lock gates, thus preventing them from operating properly, and this actually trapped the ship in the lock for some amount of time. So, you know, even in death, the dog is getting, starting to get its revenge. A little, little bit of payback on, on there. The yeah. After the incident, though, it's said that the dog continued to haunt the vessel. And on stormy nights, its howl could be heard throughout. Good. It's pretty ominous. Can you imagine? Yeah, they, they deserve it. Yeah, I was going to say, but also, like, why would you let the dog drown? I don't, yeah, I, I don't that, understand. That part I don't get, like, oh, it's going to save itself. Like, yeah, by swimming up to the boat, which I'm sure it did, and then someone's got to help it out. It's not <laughs> It's not going to climb a ladder. But it, but it also does give you the perfect setup for why there, this dog would appear getting revenge on lake vessels and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, it does, it, it, it's almost too perfect for the story. It justifies it in a way, you know? Mm-hmm. It provides some sort of internal logic to why why are we having problems? Why is this thing going wrong? Um, why is this storm preventing us from doing what we want to do? Uh, it's because of this dog. Right. So, all right, the next vessel that we'll talk about is the T.G. Jenkins. So the Jenkins was headed from Chicago to Kingston, Ontario in November 1875. It was during this trip that the helmsman had a truly extraordinary experience. The night was by all accounts a pleasant one to be out on the water. However, soon the night was filled with the shouts of the terrified helmsman. He's basically screaming. People are running up to the bridge seeing what's going on. And he says that he claimed to have seen a large black dog climb over the weather rail wander across the deck, and then continue over another rail and plunge into the lake. The story would have been particularly concerning to the captain of the vessel, who actually had a black dog that stayed on board with him. However, that dog was with the captain in the captain's room when these events took place Mm. and was accounted for after the helmsman made these claims. Mm. The old captain did not believe the man, and he actually searched him on the spot, and this man had a bottle of liquor. Mm Mm-hmm. The captain ordered him to be relieved of duty and to be force-fed strong black coffee. (laughs) Before the coffee could have any effect, the man went on to babble incoherently about seeing the black dog climbing up the rigging of the vessel. That's pretty impressive by the dog. I I know. I was this when you said it climbed over the railing, I was trying to imagine like it doesn't have it doesn't it can't it can't grab things. So like And then like the guy says he sees it running like and climbing in the rigging. Like what what's going on? Like what do you see? Yeah. Also, I think it's funny that the punishment for being drunk on duty is just to be force fed black coffee, according to the captain. Yeah. 
I would be curious. You're seeing stuff like this. What I'd be curious to know what he's drinking. Right. <laughs> get some of that. He's got so some, when he's got the some, vessel... some Kessler in there. <laughs> so when the vessel reached Port Colburn, Ontario, keep in mind, we just told a story about the black dog in Port Colburn. Uh, the man was able to uh, get a hold of a bottle again. They had, they had stopped in the port. So you know he wasn't drinking on duty this time. But as soon as he got a hold of that bottle, he started raving about the black dog that he'd seen. Mm-hmm. At this point, the captain had seen enough that he <laughs> throws the man and the man's duffel bag off the vessel. He, it's like a movie almost. He literally just kicks him off the boat. What happens next actually sounds like the plot from a bad horror movie, though. <laughs> and it, it, you'll see. <laughs> so the vessel had to work her way through the Welland Canal. This meant that she was frequently stopping and she was frequently close to shore. Each time she stopped, the helmsman who had seen the dog would shout to the crew on board to leave and to listen to the, uh, his warning of danger and that death was waiting for them. So you can imagine, like, you just have this crazy person following you, yelling at you as you're going through the canal. And it takes a few, like, this takes hours. This isn't, like, a 30-minute process. So this is happening multiple times. Mm-hmm. Each time, the crew would respond by mocking the man and claiming that he, he must be drunk and that he, in fact, just was a drunk. I mean, the evidence seems to suggest that that could be possible (laughs) from what I've seen of this guy so far. So apparently by the time that the vessel reached the end of the canal, the message had some impact. Some members of the crew began to wonder if there was some truth to what the man was saying. To combat this, the captain did not waste any time and got underway like immediately after he cleared the canal. Normally they would stop, you know, check things, but uh, he didn't want to do that. That night, she sailed into a storm that, although intense, was not uncommon for the area in November. However, it would, be, it would prove too much for that vessel, and she was lost with all hands, not a trace being seen since then. Mm-hmm. So This is uh, certainly, I think, yeah. from all the stories we've had of, of ships sailing directly into storms, this one's probably the weirdest excuse of, like, <laughs> yeah, it was just... Can't I, stop, black dog. I was just really annoyed. And so we just like <laughs> sailed into a storm. So the night of the Jenkins loss, a farmer near Oswego, New York reported that he had seen a strange black dog swim ashore in the middle of the night. The dog had jet black hair and drug its back legs as if paralyzed. The farmer stated that almost as quickly as it appeared, it was gone, simply vanishing into the night. So I find that interesting. Like, it's an interesting little part of the story. Like, there's two possibilities that the captain's black dog swam off the ship and was, like, you know, in pain mm-hmm. from being in freezing water all night. Or this is, like, the, like, avatar for some dog demon mm-hmm. that's, like, you know, <laughs> got off the vessel and, like, swam to shore or something. Like, that's crazy. I would hope that if I if I was a, a, a demon able to manifest myself in the form of a dog or a spirit or whatever manifesting in the form of a dog i would think that i'd hopefully be able to manifest in a physically whole and healthy form i mean i wouldn't want to manifest as a ghost that's paralyzed partially Um, yeah it's it's definitely an interesting wrinkle very cool i enjoyed that story quite a bit like that was you know that kind of has like all the elements of a classic scary story you've got the guy who saw the thing that no one believes and you know he keeps trying to tell him and, and then it happens. I can totally see that being the last shot of like a kind of a 
C plus level horror movie where the ship goes down. Yeah. It's been building up to this. And then the last shot is just on a beach. Some passerby just watching a dog haul itself out of the surf. Oh yeah. And then the dog looks at the camera and just walks away or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I can totally see that. All right. So I have one last story about the black dog. This is a vessel named the Azimuth. So in this story, a drunken mate says to the captain of the vessel, may the black dog of Lake Erie cross your deck. This immediately sets off the captain. He instantly sees red. and He begins to beat the drunken mate, like full on on the ground, UFC, like ground and pound. Yeah, like I mean, that's that's he's uh, that's fighting words right there. Someone asks for the black dog of Lake Erie to cross your deck. So then he yells to the mate, take it off, take it off, or your mother will never know the look of your face, which I thought was a very, it's a great threat. <laughs> take. It's a very old timey threat. Take what off? What is he talking about? Like take off the curse that he just like said. Oh, I see. Got it. Yeah. Like the captain wants him to take off the curse of the black dog. So bloodied and choking, the mate must have sobered up due to fear and shock and begins to apologize, saying he couldn't have summoned the black dog as he wasn't able to perform magic. It was just him being frustrated. <laughs> what a great a great excuse for not having been the one to summon the black dog. It wasn't me, because I personally <laughs> I magic. cannot do magic. So the captain's now a little more calm, and he accepts the ap- apology. However, he has one condition, that the man must accompany the vessel on its next voyage. However, he would not be doing so as a mate, but rather he would be in the forecastle working with the crew. So, you know, like his punishment is like, if the black dog comes, he's coming for you too, mm-hmm. basically. <laughs> Followed up with like, you're not going to work your like more like cushy, like job. You're, you're going to get your hands dirty and mm-hmm. go do some real work. <laughs> so either way, he's getting punished. He's either going to have a bad trip or he's going to drown. Right. Because of the black dog. So the captain followed this up with, you're not worth the salt on your porridge, but I reckon you won't go as far to drown yourself despite me. The still not finished, the captain said, if I told the boys you'd threaten the black dog, they'd tear you limb from tree. Such so good. Apparently uh, this was su- enough. Such good. Uh, I, I like the I like the uh, the little wrinkles of language in this story. Like, yeah, yeah, I know. You're not worth here. the salt on your porridge. I I don't know if I've ever eaten porridge, but I I guess I don't think about it being salty. <laughs> yeah, right. Also, limb from tree is an interesting turn of phrase, and also more accurate when you think about it. Because if you're telling someone you're going to rip them apart, like your limbs aren't connected to one another, so saying you're going to tear someone limb from limb doesn't make any sense. But this does tearing you limb from tree. That's true. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was interesting just to show like how serious like the crew even take like everyone takes this seriously. Mm-hmm. One more thing I'll add in there. It it relates back to what we were saying at the beginning of like like you said how how seriously this is taken by at least some crews is that the veracity of the story isn't what's important, it's how people react to it. And as we see here, it has it has real world manifestations whether it's a real thing or not. Right. Yeah, so apparently this would be enough as the Azimuth, Azimuth, Azimuth? Azimuth. Azimuth, I guess. Would sail for many uh, more years on the Great Lakes. So yeah, apparently all you have to do is claim you can't do magic and then bring that person with you and and you might survive the Black Dog. I wonder if um, that's a thing whenever a new crew member signs on now. 
or like that that captain did subsequently is like, can you do magic? And if they said <laughs> that was one of his screening questions, and if and if they said no, he would he would allow them to come on. I can just imagine being asked that in an interview and having to like guess which which one is the best answer. No, I, I guess not. Unless you need me to. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So I thought those stories were all really interesting, though. Like, I thought that the black dog stories were very interesting. Yeah, I like the uh, the black dog stories are really cool. I think it's because it's one of those things that seems um, almost more plausible that you could be out at night, have like randomly encounter a dog and be like, hmm, something seems off. Yeah, it's it's one that it's sort of unsettling because of the likelihood it could happen. It's not an insane thing to think you could be walking alone and see a big dog that looks really frightening until its its eyes start glowing and then you have something else on your hands. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, at, at that point, yeah, you probably messed up. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I think you got a couple stories you want to share. Yeah, so I have a few that I, I'd like to actually, uh, most of mine, are, I'm just going to be reading mainly just these two stories that I was intrigued by as I was looking around a little bit. One of them comes from Lake Michigan. Know, kind of our home territory here. And one of them comes from Connecticut. Do you have a preference of which one you'd like me to start with? Let's keep it in the Great Lakes to start. All right, cool. So I'm going to be basically reading an article uh, from Milwaukee Magazine by Anna Lardinois. I hope I'm pronouncing Anna's name correctly. It's called The Ghost of Lake Michigan's Ironsides Shipwreck. All right. Is a young Milwaukee boy who died nearly 150 years ago still awaiting rescue from Lake Michigan's perilous waves? That's a question some have been asking since August 6, 2000, when the U.S. Coast Guard vessel Mackinac captured mysterious cries for help during the annual Grand Haven Coast Guard Festival held in Michigan. Ironsides, owned by Milwaukee-based Engelman Transportation Company, was a 218-foot wooden steamer designed to transport both passengers and cargo, on the Great Lakes. When she launched in 1864, she offered passengers the finest comforts available on the lakes. Those who booked passage in one of her 44 staterooms enjoyed twinkling chandeliers, marble bath fixtures, and even hot and cold running water in the room, something <laughs> many homes of the day did not have. Above the waterline, the ship dazzled passengers, but below deck, things looked grim. The sailors knew the ship was leaky. Each time they would unload the cargo hold, the load was wetter than it had been on its last journey. Rumors circulated among the mariners that she was unseaworthy and that the company was willing to pay the crew more than the going rate to sail on the increasingly dangerous ship rather than making the needed repairs. The sailors believed she required a complete overhaul, but her owner disagreed. Company added a few coats of it's paint. It's interesting that they just decided to pay the people more rather than fixing the ship. It's, it's like, yeah, we're not going to fix it, but here's like an extra dollar. It's yeah, it's a great example of like putting a band aid on something that probably requires surgery, and right. you're, you're you're still paying that money, and you probably end up paying more by paying this out this you know extra hazard pay rather than just admitting there's a problem and fixing it. It's cool to see that come up in these you know these spooky stories because it's a problem we see so much in our you know quote unquote normal stories uh, how many times have right. we talked about the owner or operator of a vessel not paying for something they could have and we have a shipwreck story to tell <laughs> like it makes parts of the story more believable because that's totally something that happens all the time right um, 
The company added a few coats of paint and replaced some boards, which was all that was needed for her to pass inspection. She was officially declared to be in excellent shape during the winter of 1872 to 1873. Despite the glowing review, in less than a year, she'd be permanently at rest beneath Lake Michigan's waves. Milwaukee and Henry Valentine, a clerk with Engelman Transport, secured passage for his wife and young son on Ironsides for the night of September 13th. Toddler Henry, clad in a brand new blue sailor suit, purchased for the journey, was eager to set sail. The elder Henry, unable to join his small family on their jaunt across the lake, felt confident the pair were safe because he'd gotten them tickets on what he believed was the finest passenger boat available on Lake Michigan. As he waved at them from the dock, he had no idea that would be the last time he would see his family alive. This is even kind of written like a movie. We've got all the elements of uh, of a good, you know, a solid ghost story here. We've got we've got a, a little boy uh, who's probably going to turn into a creepy ghost. Also, he a sailor outfit. He's wearing a sailor outfit, like uh, like Robert the doll. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's already creepy. Yeah, little kids in sailor outfits are kind of creepy sometimes. The September winds were mild on both sides of the lake when the ship set sail, but just after midnight a storm rolled in. Heavy waves and howling winds punished the boat. She twisted in the waves in the fight to stay afloat. That was a good rhyme there. That Uh, was. That was a good verse. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Quickly, cracks appeared in her body and the leaks in the boat rapidly multiplied. Water rushed in from each new break in the steamer. The ship's pumps were no match for the streams of water that flowed from every fault in the battered ship. By morning... The water was knee-deep in the belly of the boat, and the gangway door was smashed. With little hope of being aided by another ship in the midst of the violent storm, and no possibility of making to the harbor in the Ironsides, the crew quickly distributed life preservers and readied the passengers for the inevitable sinking of the ship. Soon, all passengers and crew were aboard one of the five lifeboats. The wild winds tossed the lightweight craft through twelve-foot waves— As the boats battled the stormy water, occupants were thrown from the lifeboats. Three of the five lifeboats capsized, abandoning all aboard to the merciless lake. Two lifeboats made it to shore, yet twenty people drowned in their pursuit of land. When the storm dissipated, the remaining crew returned to where Ironsides went down, in hope of recovering additional survivors. All that was found were lifeless bodies bobbing in the waves. Nettie Valentine's body was quickly located. Then young Henry was discovered, half buried in the sand. When he was pulled from the waves, his delicate skin was unmarred by the tragedy. He was described by the recovery team as appearing to be asleep. The mother and child were placed together in a wooden box for their return journey to Milwaukee. The tale of the Ironsides does not end there. Today, there's a persistent belief that the spirit of the child lost in the sinking of the ship remains earthbound. Those who are convinced the ghost of Henry Valentine continues to linger in the area got all the proof they needed on August 6th, 2000, the final day of the annual Grand Haven Coast Guard Festival in Grand Haven, Michigan. On that day, the U.S. Coast Guard vessel Mackinac, a 290-foot icebreaker, was sailing through heavy fog when the crew heard the distinct sounds of a child calling for help. When the crew could not locate the child in distress, They contacted the Grand Haven Coast Guard Station, who quickly sent a rescue boat to search for the child. The deployed rescue boat joined the icebreaker, and both boats could hear the child in distress calling for help from the depths of the fog. Their search was thorough, but fruitless. Unwilling to leave a child in peril, 
the crew contacted nearby boats to see if help was needed, to no avail. Next, local law enforcement was contacted to see if anything had been reported, but there had been no accidents and no calls for aid. The crews on both boats were baffled. They needed an explanation for the cries they heard, and reassurance that there was not a child in danger who needed their help. Despite the teams diligently scouring the area, no one in distress was ever discovered. Later, it was noted the Mackinac was sailing over the sunken remains of the Ironsides when the cries were heard. Could the Coast Guard crews have detected a call for help that has been sounding since the awful storm that took the Ironsides, as well as Henry Valentine, his mother, and 18 others, in 1873? For some... The answer to this question is an emphatic yes, and this strange tale is offered as proof that the boy continues to wait for the rescue that did not reach him all those years ago. Creepy. Yeah, that's a cool one. Uh, this one caught my attention mainly because of the, lo- the location. I was kind of looking for some some Lake Michigan, some local stuff, uh, and this one jumped out at right. me. Um, yeah, cool story. Uh, any anytime you, it definitely has. It definitely has that like traditional ghost vibe where like at the time no one knew it, but you were right over the wreck. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like that. That's a detail that would be revealed later in the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. that they were right above where the ship went down. Right. Yeah. It definitely gives you that vibe of like the classic ghost story thing. Yeah, for sure. So that was, that was a cool one. I didn't read much about the actual storm or the, or the actual wreck itself. Uh, I definitely want to look more into that and see, uh, See what, just what other sort of information I can find just out of interest in the shipwreck aspect of it. Right. So that's my first story. Okay. I've got, I do have one more coming up here. Just to reiterate, that story I just read was from Milwaukee Magazine uh, by Anna Lardinois. Um, she, she actually has a book. She has, I think, a few books. Um, I have one of hers on the way. It's a collection of ghost stories and legends. Um, I forget if it's the Great Lakes in general or if it's just Lake Michigan. I just want to check here real quick and see uh, what it was. I think it's at the bottom of the article here. Yes, uh, so she has a book called Milwaukee Ghosts and Legends, Storied and Scandalous Wisconsin. Uh, And then she has a book called Shipwrecks of the Great Lakes, Tragedies and Legacies from the Inland Sea. That's the one that I I just ordered uh, not too long ago. That sounds pretty cool. So excited to check out more of her writing. All right, uh, on to my on to my next story. Um, so this story, uh, I was excited when you said we were going to do an episode like this for Halloween. Uh, this story actually comes from a book that I have called Connecticut's Seaside Ghosts. It's by Donald Carter. I've got a decent collection of ghost story books from random places. I happen to just have one about Connecticut. Aside from that, I have no other connection to Connecticut. Right. I know very little about the place. So this story is called For Whom the Bell Tolls. Uh, it comes from chapter two of the book. It was Connecticut's worst disaster at the time, and it spawned one of our state's most interesting ghost ship legends. As a note, he's from Connecticut, so hence our state. <laughs> the wreck of- Also, multiple ghost ships in Connecticut, apparently. I guess, yeah. It would be a good thing to look more into. Um, since there's it's a small area, so I'm guessing they have a high ghost ship per capita ratio. Yeah, right. 
The wreck of the steamship Atlantic upon the coast of Fisher's Island in 1846 cost the lives of more than 50 passengers and crewmen, including at least five women. Many of the dead would never be properly identified, too horribly mutilated in the disaster, their bodies unrecognizable to loved ones. Some believe the enormous bell that had been mounted on her deck still rings its distress call today and can be heard on stormy nights upon Long Island Sound. Bound for New York, the Atlantic departed Allen's Point at midnight on November 25th. Captain Isaac Kip Dunstan, an experienced and popular seaman, commanded the vessel. The steamer stopped briefly in New London before attempting the sound, at which point the weather began getting rough. At least two passengers decided to disembark at that time, rather than risk the gathering storm. Captain Dunstan, however, was confident. Besides, he had a wife and children waiting for him at his home on Staten Island, and he was anxious to rejoin them. Things began to go wrong almost immediately. Not more than ten minutes out from New London Harbor, waves began buffeting the gallant steamship. One particularly strong wave rocked the ship dangerously, and a loud crack was heard by many. Then, around 1 a.m., a hideous explosion rocked the ship. The steam box, or steam pipe, the cause has never been adequately determined, had exploded, causing many small fires upon the Atlantic's decks, and leaving her without power at the mercy of the tempestuous sea. The captain was heard to exclaim, she's burst her boiler. No passengers slept that night. The darkness rent by flashes of lightning and dangerous fires aboard ship. Scalding steam bursts erupted in passengers' cabins, causing injury and panic. By dawn's feeble light on Thursday morning, the last of the small fires aboard were discovered and extinguished by crew, all flaming portions thrown overboard. Captain Dunstan advised everyone, keep cool, gentlemen. You may depend on our doing everything for your safety, and that we shall be the last to leave the boat. Keep cool. But the worst was yet to come. The storm still raged. Indeed, it appeared to be growing stronger. Two ships, the Massachusetts and the Mohegan, passed close enough to see that the Atlantic was in severe distress. Both, however, were unable to navigate the choppy waters close enough to be of aid to the Atlantic's passengers. When the Mohegan seemed about to make the attempt, Captain Dunstan ordered the distress signal withdrawn, so as not to endanger a second vessel to the same doom. Captain Dunstan ordered life preservers inflated and distributed among the many passengers and crew. He also suggested everyone grab a door or board large enough to stay afloat upon in the, inve- the event of shipwreck. When Reverend Armstrong, a clergyman aboard, called for a prayer meeting in the morning hours, he did so with the captain's blessing. All attended. Reverend Armstrong, in his sermon, reassured the throng with quoted scripture and was heard to pray humbly, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. All day and well into the evening, the steamship was tossed, with the storm showing no signs of abatement. By 5 p.m., the situation had worsened, so that the captain ordered all freight tossed overboard and instructed passengers and crew to cling to whatever they could. The rocky shores of Fisher's Island loomed as the Atlantic continued upon its inevitable, doomed course. Despite the dropping of anchors, the storm-whipped winds and water dragged the steamer back and forth, closer and closer to the ominous breakers of Fisher's Island. Throughout Thursday evening and the early morning hours of Friday, terrified passengers awaited the coming collision. Then, around 4 a.m., 
it happened. Three times, enormous waves slammed the vessel into the breakers on the eastern side of Fisher's Island. The Atlantic struck, stern foremost, her anchor ropes snapping apart. Passengers screamed, dove for the illusionary shelter of splintering decks, or leapt into the sound to try a desperate swim for shore. The enormous distress bell clanged its discordant, gonging dirge for the doomed. Lifeboats were useless. A mighty wave, like the hand of an angry god, lifted the steamship and smashed it apart on the rocks. She shattered in halves between the ladies' saloon and the clerk's office. The ceiling of the ladies' saloon collapsed immediately, instantly killing most of the women aboard, who'd taken shelter within. Many passengers and crew were crushed to death in that eye blink of, of time when the impact occurred. Most were torn apart into unrecognizable pieces. One man, at least, was literally severed in half. Of those not killed in the collision itself, many more found a cold, watery death in the sound, drowning as they attempted to swim to safety. Like the mythical Charybdis, the sound greedily drank the lives of dozens of luckless passengers. Captain Dunstan was heard by one of his crew to call for a rope. When the man replied, If I go for the rope, we shall both be lost. The captain yelled back, Well then, save yourself. Some lucky swimmers actually made it to shore. Half frozen, wet, and shivering, they frantically searched inland for shelter. Residents of a nearby home found and rescued as many as they could, providing fire, blankets, and shelter. After its mighty and futile struggle, the Atlantic sank beneath the waves and was no more. Or was it? By daylight, the storm had abated enough to allow the Mohegan to seek out its lost counterpart. The crew of the Mohegan later recounted that they were able to locate the survivors not visibly, but by the clanging of the Atlantic's enormous bell. Pieces of the steamship would later be found for miles along the beach of Fisher's Island. All but the heavy iron bell sunk beneath the waves. By Friday afternoon, the Mohegan returned to New London Harbor with the surviving passengers and crew, along with 23 dead bodies. Most of the bodies were too horribly mangled to identify. One, in fact, consisted only of a head, upper torso, and two arms which was buried on Fisher's Island rather than transported. More trips followed, with many more bodies and cargo recovered. Among the dead were Captain Dunstan and Reverend Armstrong, as well as all the women aboard. Estimated losses ranged from 40 to 55 or more persons, with almost as many survivors. Captain Dunstan's body was transported by the Long Island boat to Greenport, then conveyed to his family at Staten Island. Mass funerals were held for the unidentified dead in New London, Norwich, and even as far away as Boston, where it's believed as many as 30 of the passengers may have come aboard. Particularly noteworthy are the sermons of two clergymen. One, Reverend Kirk, was apparently a hellfire and brimstone preacher. His published sermon seemed to blame the disaster on the sinfulness of man. God has sent many preachers with soft voices, but they were not heeded. And he next speaks in the whirlwind and the tempest. He has more storms in his storehouse. Fire, hail, and tempest all fulfill his will. Of the greatly admired Reverend Armstrong, Reverend Kirk said, God built a pulpit for him right by the gates of death. He preached there as a true soldier of the cross. He believed, and so he preached. 
he concluded ominously, How indiscriminating is death. Many valuable lives perish there. And Providence is saying to us all, Be ye also ready. A sermon by Reverend Arms was far more somber and lingered on the character of the much-beloved captain. I seem to see him still walking the deck of the beautiful craft, which his own intelligent skill had planned. I see his noble bearing, his erect position, his commanding figure, his manly features, in which were blended intelligence and unaffected goodwill. A month later, the brave steamer Mohegan was itself lost at sea. On Saturday... December 26th, at around 3.30 p.m., while running freight between New York and Bridgeport, it wrecked upon gangway rocks not far from Sands Point. Though conditions were clear and calm, a low tide caused the bottom of the steamer to stove in by way of submerged rocks. She ran aground at a place called Cow Bay, where she sank within two feet of her hurricane deck. Fortunately for the Mohegan, however, all persons aboard were safely rescued, with no serious injuries and no loss of life. Perhaps divine providence had watched over the Mohegan's little crew, who'd striven so hard in the rescue of the doomed Atlantic, and had been saddled with the grisly task of transporting her horrifyingly mangled dead. A ghostly legend surrounding the Atlantic is still told along Connecticut's shore. None could account for the sound of the Atlantic's fog bell leading the crew of the Mohegan to the wreck site a bell that had already been lost in the sound. Some claim that the bell may have still been attached to part of the hulk, washed ashore and rolled by the waves so that it tolled loud and clear over and over again. Others were not so sure. Indeed, fishermen, sailors, and others have claimed in the century and a half since the wreck to have heard the peal of the Atlantic's bell through the fog and waves, hauntingly mourning her lost dead. The ghostly bell is referred to in a memorial to Captain Dustin in New London. Inscribed in stone are the words, Far, far o'er the waves, like a funeral knell, mournfully sounds the Atlantic's bell. Tis the knell of the dead, but the living may hear. Tis a warning to all amid the opening year. And that is the story of the Atlantic. That was a really good one. Like that... I feel like it was, you know, a little different than maybe the first ones that we shared, but that had more of like a, I almost had like, there's just a kind of a poetic part to all of it, I felt like. It was very interesting. Yes, it was a cool, it was a very cool story. It caught my attention the first time I read the book. Um, so I wanted to go back through it and uh, and present it here. Uh, it's an, yeah, it's an interesting, just looking at it from the way that we normally look at shipwrecks, it's, it's an interesting story in itself, um, just based on some of the stuff that's happening. Uh, and then through the lens of, you know, looking for, for the additional legends and stories surrounding it. Uh, it's very cool. It's right. a very eerie um, imagery with the, uh, the bell tolling, even, even after it, it should no longer be doing that. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. Very cool. There is, there is a little bit more in the book uh, related to that. Um, but I'll say if you're interested in reading more, the book is called Connecticut's Seaside Ghost. There's a lot of really good stuff in there. Uh, for a for a ghost book, it's very well written. <laughs> there's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of bad ones out there. It's 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 very well written. Yeah, that is one problem I have sometimes is reading through them, and it's you know, I don't know a, a poorly written story. No matter how interesting for me, like it takes me out of the story. Yeah, for sure. 
So anyway, those are yeah, those no. are the stories I've got here. Cool. Yeah, it's fun. It's definitely something I think we'll come back to. I feel like there's so much mythology and lore and stuff around ships and maritime things that like this is definitely something we'll do again. Yeah, and that actually leads me into something I've been brainstorming, kicking around. I think I mentioned it to you the last time we were planning an episode. I think it'd be cool to maybe do a little bit more folklore-oriented stuff, maybe as some Patreon bonus content. Um, For I think sure. that would be yeah, a, a fun thing to do. Yeah, there's just too much of it to, to stay away from it, so... Uh, for sure. I think that's something I would definitely like to do in the future. And we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Hope everybody has a great Halloween. And uh, yeah, we'll be back with some more normal content next week.